Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 227, Who's the Big Hero Now? This week we're discussing season 4, episode 15 of Angel, Orpheus, in the 2016 Doctor Who Christmas special, The Return of Doctor Mysterio. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, starting with Angel, um, last one of our little mini arc here, you said this is kind of a, you know, a, a sub arc within this season of uh, Angelus's sort of interaction with the group. Um, mm-hmm. and want to start with the big crossover, which got teased last time. Um, we talked a little bit about it when we were setting up to record. It wasn't quite the crossover that I was almost hovering around predicting. I won't go, I won't claim that I predicted anything. Um, but you know, my question about, is there any connection between the plot that's going on in the two shows um, isn't exactly the way that I was phrasing it, but clearly there always are connections between the two shows and that becomes pretty, you know, explicit when Willow shows up early on in this episode, um, Mm -hmm. which was unexpected to me. I was, I think again, expecting something a little more, nebulous and sort of theoretical of oh maybe there's some hint that the first is involved in the story i wasn't necessarily expecting actual characters to cross over um right so that was a pretty exciting reveal um yeah and especially since the the shows you know parted are are on different networks right like yeah right right. yeah and we've had a, a big a drop in that since they split networks like Mm -hmm. there's references and occasionally characters pick up the phone so you get the sense that like they're a bit in touch but you don't get like oz driving back and forth between the two shows like in between episodes or anything right right yeah my band's playing in la tonight i'll go take this to angel yeah give me the ring um in fact, have we had any since the the mm. network separated? I don't think so. Because okay. the last time... I think the last crossover would have been Willow. When she comes to tell Angel that Buffy died. Mm, that's right. So that's is, right. That's the end of season two of Angel. That's that's right. And I forgot about that little moment. But it's so brief. It's so brief. And yeah. there's like, right. Yeah. So, refresh my memory. Has she met Fred before? No. They've only well, just spoken on the phone. Because at that point, that's the end of um, season two, right? So that's, there's no place like Burt Square. So um, Fred is like just arrived. Fred like just came back with them from Pyvia. 
And is probably like hiding in her room. Right. That's when she kind of goes. Right. Right. Yep. Right. Because I don't think they have really, but then they've clearly talked because there's some allusion to like, oh, it's good to see you. Like she clearly knows who she is and yep. they're aware of each other and they know each other to a certain extent. But maybe it's just that they've been in touch and have been comparing some notes and helping each other out like over the phone and that sort right. of thing. And this is like, you know, early like internet forum days. So like you could almost feel like like this right. is one of those things where you have like, right. there's almost like a, a meta aspect of this of like the Buffy fans who like only know each other from like the online forums, maybe right. meeting up one time at you know uh once more with feelings sing along or something like that like and that feeling which i think anybody who nerds out about things on the internet probably knows of meeting somebody who you consider a close friend for the mm -hmm. first time in person and there being that slight cognitive dissonance of i simultaneously know nothing about this person and feel like i know them really well yeah um and so they do, that's what threw me off because they do act like they know each other in a way, but then there's also some kind of bashfulness to it. That's like, Oh, they're, they're also kind of meeting for the first time and, and are really excited to kind of get to talk in person and kind of finally be able to meet and everything. Um, so yeah, there's something kind of very, it's not ahead of its time, but it's very sort of, of the moment and kind of current about that. Um, even more so now, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess just to kind of stick with that, with her arrival, it is it is Fred that calls her in, um, you know, without tipping off any of the others. She sort of gets her on the phone and, and calls in, not just calls in a favor, but kind of, you know, Willow's the big guns, right? Um, you know, and she has, yeah. you know, her, her guns have gotten bigger each season and, like, that's her status over in Buffy. And so, yeah, let's, like, it's almost kind of like, why don't we do this more often, you know? Because <laughs> Willow's getting so powerful that, um, not that she can fix every problem, or never makes mistakes or has every solution. But in terms of magic, her ability kind of outstrips everybody here. Um, I get, I mean, her knowledge too. Um, you know, Fred and Wesley have a fair amount of knowledge behind them, but the combination of her knowledge plus like her magical ability She's kind of like in a league of her own um, across both shows by this point, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And probably, I don't know. I don't know that there's like a really a hint that this is Fred's reasoning, but probably a good idea that she didn't share this plan with anybody else. Um you know, turns out to be, you know, because we know that sort of Cordy is listening into these plans and conversations and sort of trying to sabotage them. Mm -hmm. um, 
And Fred's probably more worried about like what Angelus knows or, you know, or any, you know, whoever the beast's master is and everything. Um, so it's kind of a good call to just call her in without consulting with anybody else. Yeah, I mean, there's there seems to be a lot of resistance in angel investigations no matter who's like in charge <laughs> like there's there's always there always seems to be a lot of resistance to the idea of like bringing in new blood like it's a very if i can use the term uh without its sort of political connotations it's a very conservative sort of group right mm -hmm. like it's like only the people who are like in the group and no one else unless like we with all you know uh objections made known <laughs> like have yeah. to absolutely bring someone new into the group um they right. really conservative things... in the sense of cautious like they're not quick to yeah well and but yeah yes cautious but also like i think there's some personality there at least on angel's part maybe not on all of their parts but like angel and even wesley to some degree i think of like just not liking change unless mm. you're kind of forced into it um i think we get that with angel quite a bit actually like right. that he just he doesn't really change with the times unless you know something absolutely sort of forces him to do so and um you know he's just sort of your typical old codger in that way i suppose well um, and and so not liking change, but also not liking help or not liking to need help. And I think that does have something to do with age and the fact that this is a, an older group. You know, I think like Buffy mm -hmm. as, yes, the leader, but with a mentor. Like she always had this, this student, you know, or at least until recently she had this kind of student mentality of I have sort of nominal leadership or, or, you know, spiritual leadership over the group, but she looks to Giles for guidance. Mm. Um, and I feel like is not that Buffy doesn't have trouble asking for help as everybody does. And certainly that can be part of adolescence too, is thinking that, you know, everything, but I think like, in that feeling of helplessness of I don't know what to do there's a sense of you look to the grown-ups to sort of help you and guide you and everything um whereas maybe this being a group of like the 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 the, the median age is sort of shifted upwards and people here like this group is a bit more independent and kind of maybe wants to take care of it sort of in-house as much as possible and are reluctant to kind of, you know, pass the ball over to somebody who might be able to do it for them. Which kind of makes Willow all the more impressive still, you know, that she's kind of from the one of the, from the younger group, from the, the show that's about teenagers or young adults. Um, 
she's the one that's going to cross over and sort of help clean up their mess a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, notable too, that it's Fred, not any of like the people who actually have, who know and have met Willow. (laughs) Um, Sure. And I mean, not Gunn either, but like, he probably doesn't even know about Willow, right? But like Fred, the researcher, who's like, well, how, you know, what's happened? Oh, there's actually, we have, we have a connection. It, like it, if it was LinkedIn, it's like, you know, a second tier connection kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Like, like I know someone who knows someone that has put a soul back into Angelus before. Right. Maybe I should reach out to this person and right. see if they'd be willing to help. And um, is there some bias against the ones who do know her, who maybe still think of her as, well, as, as not, that they, not that they just think of her as a kid, but haven't known her in this time where she's grown increasingly yeah. more powerful. Um, to give them a little bit of the benefit, I don't think they're, it's purely that, oh, they can't see past the old insecure Willow. But, like, that's how they knew her, was somebody who maybe was starting to dabble in magic, but not necessarily somebody who was capable of doing the kinds of things that she does here. Right. And it's questionable how much they even know about her evil, you know, willow phase. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like they do. Like, time-wise, obviously it feels quite a while ago to us at this point even but like time-wise for them like that would have just been a few months ago and it's not like it's not like even if at one point there was like regular calls between LA and Sunnydale going on like everyone's been so busy with everything yeah like it just is hard to believe that like any of that type of news would have made its way there yeah um well, it's kind of personal too, you know. Um, yeah, no, not but that I mean, it's like, not important like, to know. But like, like even yeah. if if you would like, normally you might think like, you know, I don't even know at this point like how often Buffy and Angel might talk, right? Like, even if that were the case, though, like just with all the stuff that's been going on in Sunnydale with the first and all of that. But then also, like, in L.A. with, like, Wesley, you know, all of his stuff, and, and who actually seems like more the kind of person to keep in touch than even Angel is, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, yeah. You know, kind of going rogue and doing his own thing, and, and Angel kind of going off and doing his old thing and dealing with Connor and, you know, the Rise of the Beast and all this, like, it's just like there's literally been no time to like mm-hmm. you know resume our weekly Sunday evening calls or whatever you know they might yeah. have had so like it like even if it's even if they know that like Willow's been dabbling in magic for a while like news of like this apocalypse that almost happened way off in Sunnydale seems not to have reached them at all. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I was going to skip ahead to 
you know, well, why don't we do that? Willow's conversation with Wesley, I think, is kind of relevant there. Um, and it doesn't seem like Wesley knows that each of them is sort of surprised by the changes in the other one. Um, sure. You well, know, and, and, and like, so she kind of notices it's an interesting contrast between the the visible difference she notices on him, like, that she can see it, right? Like, everybody notices, like, oh, there's something, I mean, Faith did too, you know, there's something different about Wesley, and, you know, mm -hmm. he's the Marlboro Man, and, and um, you know, he's embraced the grumpy side of the force, and he's all sort of dark and stubbly now. Um, whereas yeah. Willow doesn't show those outward signs, you know? But her, the, like, when they start comparing their darknesses, hers is clearly way further than his. Um, mm. Like, not that he hasn't, you know, done some dark things, and they're very polite not to say, like, oh, that's, like, she doesn't say, like, oh, you know, you're... You're nothing compared to me. Like she's sort of gracious kind of, about it. She kind of encourages them. Like, no, no, that was that was dark. That, like, no, yeah, you, like you, 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 can, you don't have to be embarrassed about that. Like, you, that's you know, he mentions keeping Justine in the closet and everything. Like, oh, you've been to a place, but like, still, clearly, the flaying is in another category. You know, mm. um, you know, I mean, she says flayed a guy alive and tried to destroy the world. She, you know, I mean, I guess the flaying implies that she killed people, but that's like the fact that she killed and tried to sort of destroy everything does kind of put Wesley's darkness into perspective because he's done ambiguous things. Like he's made choices and done things that are questionable or, or, you know, dark or whatever, but he hasn't actively tried to destroy, you know, sure. like you, you still get the sense that those things are in service of what he thinks is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like even that tempers the darkness, it's more anti-heroic or ambiguous more so than like actively evil. Um, right. Whereas Willow went into the full on, you know, became one of the big bads herself yep. for a for a period of time. Um, so it's kind of funny to see the commentary on Wesley's sort of rough and kind of depressed appearance versus Willow, who looks as sort of chipper and youthful and happy as she ever did. Um And yeah. I'm, I don't, that's, that's an observation. I'm not necessarily coming to any conclusions one way or the other about that. Like, I'm, I don't think, I'm not saying that that means that Wesley's changes are merely superficial or, you know, or that Willow hasn't really been changed by her experiences. You know, it's just an interesting kind of, when you kind of, from the writers taking characters to dark places and then having them not evolve in the same way. Um, 
like even though Willow has been changed by what she did, she also in some ways kind of came out the other side and still like looks like herself. Whereas Wesley is sort of still in the midst of that sort of goth anti-hero kind of stage. Um, yeah, so should bring up on a, I guess, a production note level or a personal note level, um, that this is at this point, uh, Alison Hannigan and Alexis Denisov are dating, possibly mm -hmm. engaged. I don't, I don't know the exact timeline of when their whole relationship happened, but, um, like, I think this is their first sort of on-screen interactions there. Because, like, they met on Buffy when mm -hmm. Wesley was there, but I don't think they were dating at that point. And then, mm -hmm. um, right. so it's also kind of, there's some humor in there, in the conversation. Like, like when yeah. she's like, so, what about Fred? Like, like the, who's this other woman? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then also later when she's like, you know, oh, well, I'm seeing someone. Obviously, you know, in story, talking about Kennedy, but, mm -hmm. like, there's Wesley, you know, Alexis Denisov standing behind Fred, you know, as she's right, saying that. Right, um, So just kind of some humorous moments if you know sort of that they're together and whatever. Right, um, there's, like, a meta humor to it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's all the only other, we talked about kind of Fred calling her and the only other thing I wanted to mention was the little sparks that fly between yeah. Willow and Fred. Uh, um, uh, at least, like, so people I, interpret them that. I don't know that that's entirely what's really, it, there's a mutual admiration, but not necessarily yes. in like a sexual way. Um, no, and that's kind of, thing. like, I feel like this is, yes. They definitely have their own little mutual admiration society thing going on between the two of them. And I think, like, I don't know. Like, I don't get the sense. I don't want to creep into, uh, you know, crit fic territory. Uh -huh. Like, I don't, I don't get the sense that the way it's acted, that, like, Fred is crushing on uh, Willow. Right, like yeah, that. No, like as far as like, I mean, like romantic crushing on her. Right. Intellectually, sure. Right. But like, it is kind of funny that like Willow interpret that interprets that as romantic interest. Because mm -hmm. um, Fred hasn't expressed any kind of mm -hmm. interest in women. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, it's sort of the Gunner Wesley thing going on. But like, right, right. never, you know, never express any kind of interest in any any woman. Well, so, and it might be Willow projecting her own interest and and misinterpreting Fred's kind of gushing about the intellectual stuff sure. as that because there is that suggestion of like, oh, what's Fred's story? But like, then it's like, oh, you know, she feels bad because she's seeing Kennedy and she doesn't want this to go you know, get misinterpreted and go too far. So she kind of nips it in the butt. Like, oh, I'm seeing somebody. Right. Like, we can't. But, like, how much of that was ever what in Fred's mind? Probably yeah. none of it, you know. It, it um, feels to me like it was, there wasn't. Like, it was just, like, Fred, like, yeah. 
oh, here's some things that can help you. You helped us. We'll help you. Like, right. You know, right. And excited to have someone who's like a fellow nerd. Right. And they feel like they would get along. You know, it feels like two characters that like naturally would sort of have an affinity and be drawn to each other. I mean, and I think in some ways they fulfill similar functions within their groups. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of natural that they be kind of paired up and everything. Um, So, um, yeah, but I didn't think that I didn't interpret that as set up for anything in the future, just to kind of letting the characters meet and sort of, you know, seeing what happens sort of dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, Gunn is there, Lauren is there. She doesn't really talk to them too much. Um, that I can remember in the episode. There's not. No, there's, there's like one or two sentences passed back and forth with gun mm-hmm. um and he's mostly just like hey if it helps it helps like you know he's he's pretty yeah. blase about it um mm-hmm. and then kind of at the end um well there's faith and gun have a couple of words well let's and come I, back to i was yeah. going to kind of save the goodbyes for the end okay um, yeah that's fine so let's move on to her and Cordy um, because she does go talk to Cordy um, who just well, kind of. And so, sorry, before she goes yeah. and talks to Cordy though, even like just Connor's like attempts to like not get her to not have her go see Cordy. Like mm-hmm. I know we're not into like the Connor Cordy stuff yet, but. Um, definitely, like, definitely find that interesting of, like, like, he's still sort of hiding and protecting her Mm -hmm. and trying to do that with Willow. But this is, like, like, he can't, there's, like, no way, like, he's going to stop Willow, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or, like, if Buffy, like, like, kind of anyone who's, like, Pre LA is pretty much is going to have whatever access they want to Courtney, like right, you know, no matter what. Um, well, and it's still little subtle reminders that she has Connor sort of keeping protecting her without him really realizing it. Like he is yeah. protecting her, but not for the reasons that he thinks. He thinks he's protecting her because she was injured and they're pregnant and she's, you know, worried about the baby and about like their family and all this kind of thing. But like, you get the sense that it's really more about, she needs her privacy so that she can be doing all the magical spying and manipulation that she's doing. Mm -hmm. So she has him down there, like informing, informing on what's going on. And then also making sure people don't just come bursting into the room when she's not ready for them. Right. Well, and Connor can probably stop anyone other than Angel and, you know, now Willow. Like, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Connor's not gonna like be able to stop Willow from going up if she wants to see. Now maybe Willow would be polite enough to not go if like Connor had insisted, but like mm-hmm. Wesley pretty much shuts him down too. It was just like, yeah, Cordy's gonna want to talk to her. Yeah, yeah, um, and he can't really say anything about it because it's an older relationship and one he doesn't like. I feel like Connor. Whenever he's sort of confronted with something he doesn't know or understand, like, he just sort of, like, goes into, like, sulk mode. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't really know how to reply to anything Mm -hmm. that he's unfamiliar with. Right. Um, And And he's unfamiliar with a lot of things. Well, yes. Sure. And I'm not even saying that, that that's his fault. Like, you know, like grew up in another dimension and then appeared here at, in the middle of his adolescence. Like, of course he doesn't know about a lot of things, but, um, yeah, I just, just I feel like that's a pretty standard reaction with him that he's like someone like, you know, uh, questions or or like says he's not you know he's wrong about something and like i mean not that he never like pushes back but like this is like this is ways you know so far out of the realm of his like understanding of what willow and cordelia's actual relationship is Mm -hmm. that he can't really like push against it because he doesn't really know what to push against right right um yeah so yeah yeah all that to say excuse me all that to say that willow goes up and sees Cordy. she does um and so yeah (laughs) higher power you ultimate evil and it's like well you know like maybe they both are and like like i like the kind of Sure. Allusion to the fact that Cordy is also potentially flirting with ultimate evil here. Um, also, uh, a callback to the brief conversation between Buffy and Amy. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's a very similar. Oh right, like the pattern. Like dead rat. How how, yeah, how, yeah. how have you been, rat? You dead? Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, no, yeah. I don't think there's a significance there other than just the kind of right funny similar kind of inside joke, you know. Yes, yeah, and the kind of you know the Buffy speak of it. Um, so yeah, and and so Cordy kind of they don't really you know talk about a lot. There's some kind of like banter and catch up about their situation they're in and don't really conclude anything of like, Oh, it's a pickle. It's, it's a tough nut to crack. You know, it's kind of (laughs) like mostly kind of what it comes down to. I mean, ultimately Willow sort of comes up with her idea just sort of on her own. Like she just has this interest in talking it out, just has the epiphany about breaking the glass. Um, I, I always, I always took it that tough, that, that Cordy gives her the answer. Mm. it's a tough nut to crack with the tough nut to crack is is 
not intentionally, but like right. is is the connection that said that Will is like, oh, well, I can break the glass. Like gotcha. that's gotcha. you know, it's sort of the Gordian knot solution, right? Like, sure, I can cut through everything with my sword. I don't have to like sit here and solve a puzzle. I can right, right. I can just break the glass and then okay. the soul. Will All right, be free. yeah, no, that that makes sense. I um, that's just my interpretation, though. I don't. I'm not sure. No, when you when you point that out, I think you, you you're probably right. Um, if I had watched it as many times as I, as you have, maybe <laughs> I would have got there. Um, so the thing I want to kind of mention though is you know Cordy's hiding the knife, well hiding the the baby bump, <laughs> and hiding a knife. Yeah. You know, so Although, you know. All right, can we talk about this a little bit? Because like. I mean, maybe this is the thing that polite Willow would never bring up anyway. But I feel it's like a little obvious. Like even even if you can't see her baby bump, Cordy, her cheeks have gotten a little fuller. No, and, and th- I mean th- that's true. That's true. And you know, I feel like even before they revealed the pregnancy in the show, uh, it's terrible to say that you notice these things, but you can't help it. Like sometimes, you know. That's what happens when you get yeah, pregnant. Yeah, and I mean, again, um, like, there's there's definitely a, a noticeable difference, but like, yeah, again, maybe Willow would never say that because she's generally polite and well mannered. Well, and Willow and, hasn't seen her in how long, you know? Sure, sure, uh, that's also some true. of that right, is right. Just like people gain weight, and that's growing fine, up, like, you know. Yeah, happens to the best of us. Um, <sighs> so. Well, I thought you meant like I thought you were gonna say like the noticeable bump under the blanket, even like even like the sure, blanket isn't that as well that well. Um, Maybe she just has a pillow on her stomach, right? Like she's just yeah. Um, she probably should have put a pillow on top to kind of hide a little bit better. But um, anyway, we don't have to. Um, we don't have to pick apart her pregnancy hiding skills. Um, right. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I do feel like, like there's other signs than just like the, the belly stuff. You know? Sure. Yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, so I'm not sure if it's just like a, I don't want to overanalyze this as like just a TV trope kind of thing, but how far do you want to take the fact that she readies the knife and then throws it at the door for the fact that like she was prepared to kill her right there i think or was that just sort of a just in case sort of thing that then gets thrown out of frustration because if she kills willow her cover is a bit blown um and so is it just a kind of panic of if you know, if it comes down to it, she's prepared to do this as a last resort. Um, just, I mean, not that I, if she's evil, it's not that I don't think she's capable of it. Um, just from a practical point of view of not wanting the others to realize mm. what's going on. Um, I, well, I think you know there's... how how close did Willow come? I guess is is my question. So, yeah. I don't know. I get the feeling that Cordy was ready to kill her there. 
then and there because like yeah. there's she's like i'm really thirsty can you get me that glass of water over there? yes right and like like my interpretation of that is the right. intention to draw her closer so that she can kill her yeah um i mean i feel like cordy or whatever whatever may be yeah. controlling cordy if that in, is in fact um what's happening is feeling rather desperate because mm -hmm. the beast is gone and jealous isn't panning out you know the way she or it wanted him to um and Like, I feel like, actually, in this episode, there's a few desperation moves. Because, like, the whole, like, floaty, scary head thing yeah. is kind of, like, it's kind of, I mean, it's scary, but it's kind of impotent. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I mean, was it? it's a big head. It's a big, you know, Wizard of Oz head that doesn't right. do anything. Right, it doesn't do anything, right? It's just to kind of yeah. inspire some fear, which... Okay, it doesn't that much. Um, well, and and because Willow says ignore it, right? Like, yeah. if Willow's not concerned about it, then like no one else needs to be. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like there's just a lot of desperation moves on Cordy's mm -hmm. part. Um, on the other hand, too, like she does succeed in convincing Connor that. Willow is evil and bringing evil into the hotel. Mm -hmm. So, like, I feel like if it was, like, she stabbed Willow and then it's like, oh, crap, now Willow's body's in my bed or bedroom or whatever. Like, right. She probably would have been attacked. something about, yeah. yeah, probably something along those lines of Willow turned evil again or, you mm -hmm. know, something like that. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, because again, like if this is not Cordy, and even Cordy, even if it is Cordy, Cordy was a higher power and would have seen and known about the mm -hmm. stuff that Willow did. Right. Mm -hmm. So she would have knowledge at this point that others don't have about Willow's own, you know, uh, yeah, sordid past. Um, yeah. So that would be that would be my guess. I mean, we don't get there, so like we don't really know and and whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But I I definitely think that Cordy was like ready to kill Willow then and and mm -hmm. didn't do it only because she would have been slow getting out of bed. <laughs> like mm -hmm. she had to draw her sort of within striking range. Um. And that and that yeah, like it would have it might not have been like the cleanest, most well thought out thing but like would have probably blamed it on like willow turning bad right right and trying to kill her instead of you know the other way around mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah. yeah well and i don't want to jump to the end quite a bit but there is a sense of like those moves of desperation like you said and that things aren't going according to plan for whoever this is um i mean and kind of culminating in the the breaking of the jar and you know sort of catching it at the last second um and then 
getting distracted by Connor of all people. Um, coming to check on her. Um, Connor. Oh, Connor just messes it up for everybody. Um, and <laughs> this is yeah, and and the stuff. like, uh, yeah, and um, you know, her swear getting cut off, you know, mid midstream, um, letting you know, and even like the little silly, like, oh, I bit my tongue, like, just kind of letting you know, Willow is. Not just that Willow wasn't what she was expecting, but it's taking everything she has to battle this out with her. And she fails, ultimately. Like, mm. Willow succeeds in what she plans to do. So these are moves of desperation. And the Cordy, or whatever she is, isn't necessarily the most powerful being in this in this hotel now that Willow's here. Sure. Um, well, and even seems like maybe isn't completely uh uh i don't know how to say it like isn't really aware of like human interactions and limitations and like like maybe doesn't really fully understand like what it is to be human even mm. at this point like like there just seems to be some awkwardness and like because mm -hmm. like if this really if if this is like a higher power or an equivalent of some higher power you would think that like you know it would have more finesse or you know composure and not get distracted by like connor calling out her name mm -hmm. right like but it clearly seems to be something that's not, um, you know, not 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 too competent or comfortable in sort of the human body. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, just throwing that out yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. Um, anything else about the Willow Cordy plot before we sort of transition? Or anything else about Cordy and Connor before we switch over to like the angel faith? Um, I mean, I want to come back to the the ending, but um, um, for like the main part of the the plot, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, just continued like Connor keeps wanting to protect her, and she keeps sort of encouraging that. Mm -hmm. um <laughs> uh yeah, yeah and yeah, some more explicit commentary on his admiration of faith yeah. which um i think was obvious enough but um but cordy noting it but like using that against him like using that to get him to you know uh protect her even more fiercely than before um, you know, so like any, any, uh, loyalty or admiration for anybody else is sort of painted as disloyalty and treachery and, you know, adultery against her. Mm -hmm. So kind of severing his ties with all the other people. Right. Or potential ties. Not that he really has that yeah, strong I mean, bonds with anybody, right. but potentially faith could be somebody that really like 
shows him the ropes and Cordy's sort of, you know, trying to nip that in the bud and keep him from spending too much time or energy looking up to Faith. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't. Okay. Yeah, other than that, I didn't. I don't really have anything more. I mean, I guess you know. Again, like part of all that is the trying to convince Connor to kill Angelus, right? Yeah. And right, another move of desperation. Yeah. So, Potentially. And and I mean, I think still building on you, you know building on that idea of willow's evil mm -hmm. and we need to stop her mm -hmm. yep um okay well then let's let's switch over to angelus and faith and and angel you know there's a surprise sort of interaction with you know angel that we didn't necessarily i didn't expect him to sort of be actively involved in the story here um mm. you so mean, the kind of you mean in like the flashback like like within the flashback yeah. yeah um yeah he surprisingly angel has agency in in the story and is sort of helping it to go the way that he wants it to go um so picking up from the previous episode um we get Faith uh, having, you know, the, the follow-up from the cliffhanger is we find out that Faith, this was all according to plan, right? Like, she, it, mm. it, it, he, she had him exactly where she wanted him, right? Um, so she shot up with this drug called Orpheus, which I think is meant to be the the drug that we see the people using in the previous episode, right? When she and Wesley go to the demon bar and there's like, um, you know, the woman that Wesley stabs, who's like getting high, right? Mm. Isn't, isn't it this drug that she's sort of that's, meant to be sort of taking? That's the implication. I don't yeah. think we ever, I don't think it's ever the explicit. Right. Right. Right, but it's sort of the implied connection. Um, so, sort of a, you know, psychedelic kind of trippy sort of experience where, you know, you take this and then, or the humans take it, and then the vampires feed on them. So, I guess you get this kind of extra super high experience through mm. that. Um and Lauren definitely sells the dangerous nature of it. Um, he yeah. who happily hosted all sorts of CD types in his, you know, in, in his club, as long as they, there was no violence, he was sort of happy to have everybody. But he says those are the only people that he ever banned from the club was the, mm -hmm. the peddlers of this drug. So kind of making it clear how risky it is and and everything. And um and to make sure that it works quickly and, and effectively on Angelus, Faith took like 
a ton of it, basically. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So he kind of goes into this flashback dream vision kind of thing. And because she also took this drug, she's there with him. Um, which I guess is other than there being a sort of magical link between them, I guess that's kind of all the explanation that we need really as to why they're sharing this, this dream state together. Well, or is that the nature of the drug that you sort of share this fantasy? There, so there is precedent in the Buffy verse of, um, there being a sort of psychic connection between vampires and the ones they bite. Um, okay. Even in Angel, we we got um, oh, what uh, what's the, I don't remember the name of the episode, but the one with Jeremy Renner, uh, uh -huh. where Penn. Now, so I mean, this is you're dealing with a vampire, you know. Who sire is another vampire, and there being a connection there. But I, if I remember correctly, right? But correctly, this is the, the pre-state, right? Like, I, if I remember, if she went all the way, she would be another vampire. If I remember correctly, though, even in Buffy, there's a sort of temporary psychic connection between Buffy and Angel after he bites her. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, and I think that's part of the powerfulness of the magic, right? Is that like the human whatever takes the uh is host the right word takes the drug and mm -hmm. and you know the vampire then sort of feeds through it but i i feel like part of part of the magic of it is is that heightening of the psychic connection mm -hmm. between the two mm -hmm. um anyway so yeah the dreams i don't i don't know if that's if that's like i don't think we get enough to like know is if it's like everyone who does this like experiences the same sort of like right psychic right. dream connection but like right because some of it is to do with how much of it she took so it, it's the fact that she kind of goes yeah. into this coma is sort of a consequence of that and so and, some of it is is just the specifics of the circumstances and it might be something with faith specifically because let's not forget that when she was in a coma before in the hospital she and buffy shared right psychic dreams so right maybe right. it's some sort of innate ability in faith right as well um right right and there's willow's coma again <laughs> right you know yeah um, so I don't, I mean, and reminding us of that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't get like the technical specifications of like how all this works, but I feel like, I feel like there's enough precedent in like other stories of like psychic dreams and connections mm -hmm. between vampires and their people they bite and faith and other people that like, it's yeah. believable enough to like get us yeah. there um, yeah yeah no and i don't think it needs it does i don't think it's not calling for like specific mechanics it's some sort of mix of all of those things right. um 
But yeah, so we do get this kind of uh, Christmas Carol thing of mm-hmm. looking back over his life and his choices as, with Faith as the... Why, why do you get to be Marley's ghost? Yeah. Yep. And she's there as the as the, the ghosts of past and present, you know, kind of commenting on things. Or at least that's how it starts. I guess it kind of starts with Angelus is in hell because he's reliving the good deeds rather than showing the the normal Angelus flashbacks of him in his sort of glory. It's showing all of the times where he restrained himself and, you know, kind of sure. separated himself from human company and, 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 and saved puppies. puppies. And, <laughs> right. Um, and Faith kind of enjoying um, watching him watch that. And then at a certain point, it starts to kind of turn and it becomes more Angelus sort of taunting Faith with how even in these seemingly self-sacrificial scenarios, Angel still had these temptations and this dark side and at times indulged himself or couldn't help but just, you know, go for it. Um, You know, so it kind of, there's like a power shift. Um, You know, so kind of by the end, it's Faith who's more, you know, or Angelus is more sort of in control of the situation and Faith's the one who's uncomfortable with what they're seeing. Um, What do you make of the name Orpheus? Kind of a... Yeah. An interesting choice. Um, Uh, I mean... I mean, other than, like, I mean, obviously... Can we do anything with the illusion, I guess, is my question. So, Um, like, right. So, like, if you're thinking, like, the Greek myth, obviously, is, like, going into death and, like, to bring back his wife from the underworld, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you can make that, like, it's, in this case, I would say it's, it's the flip side, right? It's faith is the one going under to bring back angel in a way Mm -hmm. but then like it gets flipped right because she's ready to die and then angel like convinces her not to basically right right and but then she wakes up and saves him from connor killing him kind of thing Mm -hmm. so there's like like i guess you can make sort of like a loose thing there of like the Mm -hmm. going under the drug is the is it, it worse? I guess the question then is like, yeah, okay, but does that work for like everyone else? Like that that obviously works in this situation, and I can see why they called it that for this story. But like, if you want to get like within the world, I don't know. Maybe maybe the idea being that like it takes you close to death and then, but like, unless you overdose, like then mm-hmm. you come back out of it or something. But I don't, I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't, I feel like it's one of those things where they just wanted like an old sounding, like classical name. 
and so, like so they pick like Orpheus. I don't know that I would be that I would like take it too strongly. Yeah. Ah, uh, that's frustrating. Um, because at first I thought they said the drug was Morpheus, which in some ways would make more sense for like what the drugs is supposed to do. So that's kind of what made me like want to kind of say like, well, maybe it's Orpheus for a reason. And I do think there's the similarity of, of a person sort of descending voluntarily descending into hell or the underworld to sort of rescue somebody mm-hmm. who's trapped there, I think as a scenario does definitely work. Um, I don't sure. get a sense of... And there's of, the connection with like morphine and they, you know, yeah. in the name mm-hmm. Morpheus and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. the, the, they even refer to, it, you, you know, uh, is a Fred like, Oh, is it an opiate? And right, it's, it's like, an opiate. Oh, yeah. it's a, uh, you know, it's the mystical version of that. So yeah. So like right. a Morpheus, I agree, like, would be a better. Yeah, or or if they wanted Orpheus for some reason, maybe they could have sort of thought like, you know, played it, played with that a little bit more. Because I don't get any sense of the, um, there's no real like taboo in this world of, you know, like, uh, you can't you know, if you look at her, you'll lose her, that sort of thing. You know, um, I don't get any sense of there being no rules necessarily to how this works. It kind of, um, it, it kind of ends up a struggle for dominance really between the two halves of angel. Right. Um, and then it's ultimately sort of solved by Willow who does the reinstalling spell that yeah. it is able to sort of recombine them and suppress Angelus back to where he sort of came from. Um, so I do actually, I like this episode for a number of reasons, but I do feel like once you get, when you get into the details of sort of the, I don't know if it's technically a MacGuffin or not, but like the, the mm-hmm. apparatus of like the frame of the whole, drug thing like it does sort of break down a little bit um right and it's not even that what it does doesn't work i think it's the the title suggests what else like ways that they could have you know um made it a little more unexpected or you know sure or whatever but um but i don't think what is there doesn't work as like a story or as an episode. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, I don't know where else to go with angel and faith. What, what else is in their interaction that we want to kind of emphasize? Um, yeah. I I mean, so, I think the biggest thing for me is is what he says about redemption and the whole what was potentially going to be the title of the of our of our episode is where he says well she she says to him I did my time and then he says our time is never up hmm. kind of kind of that idea that like right it's an ongoing yeah you're never finished you're, yeah you're never finished with it and and 
I don't know if that gives us more insight about faith or about angel, like mm-hmm. kind of lean toward the latter with that, like that, that he feels like for all the, I mean, as, as much as faith did angels got over a century, right? Like how many years was he with Darla? Right. Like right. a lot of time. And, and part of that time with the soul of, mm-hmm. you know, reparations to make if ever you can do it but like also the idea that like like there is no amount of reparation like Mm -hmm. if you kill someone serving time maybe paying money you know in a civil suit uh you know whatever else like you can't ever like bring that person back you can't ever Mm -hmm. like give back to the family of what you took from them and restore the person to who they were. Like all you can do is try to keep living a better mm-hmm. life than you used to. Yeah. Um, and so I think like, that's the th- like, she's definitely, she's ready to die. Right. Like, like you, you can almost see in her mind, uh, like, by doing this, I'm sacrificing myself and making up for the bad things that I did in the past. Mm-hmm. And so that's clearly not true. And I mm-hmm. think that Angel, you know, him talking to her and like sort of explaining that and, and not just explaining that, like, not only is, you know, our time never up, you know, we pay for everything. But, like, I need you right now. Like, somehow, like, I almost get the sense that somehow he's sensing what's going on in mm. the real world with Connor and everything. Like, mm-hmm. whether it's part of the psychic connection or just some other kind of sense that he has. There's definitely a sense. Because she knows to get right up and run down to his cell, right? Like Right. There's a sense of literally right now. Like there, um, right. There's yeah. a s- sense of urgency that, like, not only is, like, they're, they're this nebulous sort of mission we have to keep, you know, fighting the good fight. But, like, I literally need you right now to, like, stop Connor from killing me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so... Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that would be my sort of biggest takeaway is is just that com- that it's not really it's not much of a conversation, but like that encouragement, that instruction, I don't know what to call it, from angel to faith mm-hmm. of like he's it he's not just someone who's like a good guy. He's also so it it's there's almost a there's almost an Alcoholics Anonymous sort of aspect mm, right, to it, right? right? Like, right, like take it from someone who knows. Yeah, like and, he, and he's like her I, I mentor out of shared experience. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that it's a daily struggle, and that right. there's, you know, alcoholics are never not alcoholics again. Right, like they're right. they're, you know, they always consider themselves alcoholics, mm-hmm. and so there's always that temptation to drink. And so like sort of in the same way, like there's maybe not the temptation to do evil, although that might be there, but like the idea that like, if you're really invested in making reparations, then it's going to be a long-term thing. Right. It's not, you right. can't just say like, 
I did this one thing and then wipe your hands and, you know, right. be done with it. Like, right. it, it's actually the, the harder thing is to, you know, keep going. Right. Um, right. And, and they're atoning for specific, you know, things that they've done, but on a more kind of just basic level. That there's no cure for just sinfulness of just like human frailty. Like, you know, you're going to do things, you're going to make bad choices and do things that you regret. And there's no, like you said, there's nothing that you can do to sort of suddenly not be tempted to do bad things anymore, you know, or, or suddenly make up for every wrong thing you've ever done in your life. Um, every day is sort of about your choices then and going forward. Um, and I think it kind of connects back to the Wesley and Willow plot too, you know, of there's two other characters who are atoning for things that they've done. And, you know, I think that message is relevant for them too. You know, Wesley, again, who's still kind of in the throes of his identity crisis and Willow who kind of, seemingly on the surface looks like she came out the other side and is herself again but for both of them you're you're this is a continuing journey you're never going to just be completely over the things that you've done um which is i think both a reality check and a kind of hopeful note too um So yeah, um, so I guess we can kind of wrap up with the, you know, all the, the farewells at the end of the episode. Um, I mean, needless to say, Faith does wake up and run downstairs and saves Angel from Connor. So uh, that's good. Um, and then she is headed to Sunnydale to offer her services. So I was sort of right in my yeah, guess, in my guess suggestion. She's, guess she's done with prison. Like she's <laughs> she broke out. She's just like well, yeah, I'm maybe good. Well, I don't took, need to go back there. She took Angel's message of you can't ever really atone a little too literally there, I guess. Yeah, it's like right. Um, why it's like, well, if I if I can't atone through prison, what's the point of it? Um <laughs> And, you know, it's probably, she, you know, I'm sure she feels like she can do more good in Sunnydale than sitting in a cell, which is, you know, maybe that's, that's fair. true. Right. That's fair. It's not wrong. Um, so, I mean, yeah. There, there is a lot of Hellmouth activity going on. Yeah, it's, it's it, right. These are extenuating circumstances. Right. Um, so, uh Right, which that that piece of it didn't even really occur to me. Um, but now that you mention it, that's pretty funny. Um, yeah, right. So she's crossing over now to Buffy. So we'll kind of continue the interchange between the two shows, it seems to me. Um, yeah, well... And so they can use all the slayers they can get, It's that, that's for sure. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I want to be careful of spoilers, but 
did you have a sense that we would see Faith again? In Buffy? Anywhere. Anywhere? Um, you know, I hadn't thought about her in a while, so I wasn't expecting it imminently. I think when, when last we left her, I did feel like we would again eventually. Um, but whether which show it would be in, I don't know that I knew. Um, sure. So I'm not surprised to bring her back in, you know, in both shows, you know, because obviously, like, the last interaction she had was with the Angel characters. So it kind of makes sense to reintroduce her through them. But then kind of portaling her over to the, the end of the Buffy series, which is all about Slayers, that obviously makes a lot of sense. Like, you have a really powerful Slayer sitting in jail. You probably want to bring her back for the big showdown. So, mm. um, so I wasn't, um, I mean, we talked about her a few times in, like, in the course of introducing these new potentials and everything. Um, but I wasn't necessarily expecting to see her, like, you know, at any given moment. Yeah, I was just curious, because, like, there's some iconic, uh, <laughs> there's some iconic, like, stills that are fairly, uh, well plastered around the internet. <laughs> gotcha. From, like, the last season. So and I've probably, like, seen images and haven't realized it. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if there's at least one that I can think of that definitely has faith in it. Like, with Buffy. <laughs> that, like, I would be surprised if you weren't, if you hadn't seen that. Okay. Um, I mean, there's there's other ones, too, that I won't mention. Not having to do with faith at all, but just in general, like, from the last season. Mm-hmm. Where, like, I'm also curious about, like, have you seen this? And, and you know, when we yeah. get to those points, I'll bring those up, too. But, yeah. I mean, there's that, like, as we're coming up to, I mean, we're coming up on episode 17. So, you know, we've got, what, five, six episodes left, including that one, mm-hmm. you know, of Buffy. And, like, I feel like in these last six episodes you're going to get, like, a lot of, like, sort of iconic moments that mm. probably you have seen Might images be familiar, of yeah. before. Yeah. And so, yeah. um... Yeah, you know, fair enough. Uh, yeah, just was curious if if that... So it sounds like, though, that if, if you have seen those images, you didn't sort of put it together with it being something where, like, Oh, yeah, and, and I've seen this image, and this is clearly from the last season of Buffy, and it has faith in it, and so well, I know and it could have been that, from. and it could have been that I saw it three years ago and didn't know like when the image would be coming. So it might be that it doesn't ring any bells until I actually get there. Sure, um, sure. So, so yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's not a spoiler to say that we will see faith in Buffy, but um, actually, so I kind of had this one production note that I wanted to mention and I intentionally held it to the end, but did you have any other final character 
stuff? Um, well, I just want to finish with Cordy's reveal um, and kind of loop back to the fact that, uh, I guess a question, and it can be an open question, of on the, the theme of her not really being in control of the situation and maybe not being quite as competent or scary as she seemed to be, um, and kind of making some desperate moves, you know, making bold choices out of feeling like she has no other option. Um, she comes down and reveals herself, um, both as not really Cordy and as, you know, in all her sort of pregnancy, you know, like coming down in like a very revealing, like kind of skimpy outfit. Um, and letting them know at the same time that she's behind this somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, if the, if the worst is behind us, you may want to save it for later. So, um, you know, does that, she, that is a, does she that is a, herself as not Cordy though? Well, I, I'm no, not literally. Okay. I'm reading into that in the sense of. I'm I'm assuming that they're gonna get there fairly quickly, but um. Well, just because she's had demonic pregnancies before, <laughs> like so. Sure. So the fact that she's pregnant doesn't necessarily mean that she's, you know, and like very no, pregnant and it was, in a short, very short amount of time. It was more the way she she delivered the line of with that kind of swagger that bad guys have when they're like about to like speechify um but maybe i'm jumping the gun a little bit and and have to wait to see like what she actually tells them so gotcha okay I, so that's all i was just wondering if yeah like if there was something i missed no um, i don't think so so that said that's actually a good segue because when this originally aired, people did not see that. Oh. Um, because this broadcast was cut short because it was the night that then-President Bush uh, announced the beginning of the Iraq War. Oh. So... Um, oh, fun. They actually, they actually ended up cutting it, uh, this episode, short. And... Um, so both the scene where Willow, uh, said, tells Fred that she's seeing someone and then, you know, the following mm -hmm. part with Cordy coming down the stairs and whatnot, um, were, were not seen by people who were watching it that mm -hmm. night. Um, they re-aired it like a, a couple days later, like over mm -hmm. that, whatever that weekend was. Um, so... Yeah, just to kind of say that that's a interesting thing. But um, the other thing is that we're going to see in the next episode, and I sh probably should have realized this before when we were doing the order, um, mm -hmm. is that the next Buffy episode actually was intended to air before this one, before oh. this Angel episode. So you're going to see in the next episode, Willow get a call saying, hey, can you come to L.A.? Okay. <laughs> so just so you know. <laughs> okay. It, 
Okay. It, there's so a they're little, in the proper viewing order, but not in the uh, well, internal chrono- chronological order. They're in the they're in the original air date order. Right. That's what I mean. But yeah. not the original intended air date order. Right. So, right. so we should have probably watched the Buffy episode before we watched this one. But I, sure. Like that's the only thing that I think. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. That and the fact that like. So if you're wondering, like, oh, when's Faith going to show up? <laughs> she doesn't show up in the next Buffy episode. Okay. It'll be the one okay. after that. Just gotcha. because it's it, it did get out of order there. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that to say, though, that uh, we'll get, by the time we get to the next Buffy episode, because there's this, and then there's three more Angel episodes, and then the next episode of Buffy will be in the proper order, and we'll be all good again. Okay. Um, but yeah. So, anyway, all that to say that, uh, yeah. I mean, we do get some Buffy next mm-hmm. week, and uh, and and yeah, we'll be good to talk about that. Um, but before that, we should probably talk about Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Yeah. It's back. It's weird, kind of saying that. Um. Yeah. It's been how long? A couple of years. Yeah, since we talked about it. Since we talked like, about it, yeah. Almost, like, almost two. Yeah. Just crazy. Um. Yeah, we took a not a not insignificant little detour. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, a little lo- detour through the galaxy to find Earth. Yeah. And, you know. Um. Perfectly reasonable. And let uh, the show catch up to us a little bit and put out some new episodes. Which, so we had to wait a while for that. Which, let's be honest, I mean, the Doctor himself has done that a number of times. Yes. Taking some, you know, several years long detours Yeah. It's, before it's, it's, getting back to dealing with life, you know, the universe yeah, and everything. This is the long way round. Well, and and it's literally what he does prior to this episode, right? Sure. Is, is 24 years of an interlude, you well, know. Right. And so okay, so there's the there's our hiatus. There's yes. the show's hiatus, right? Cuz there was before this was the previous Christmas episode, yep. right? Like Mhm. Which was what one again? Do you have no um, on the top of your head? The Husbands of River Song. Okay. Um, which was, yeah, 2015. And so this is the 20. So that's actually like my first production note is I said, the doctor's been away and so have we. And this was the only broadcast episode in 2016, mm. um, which is the biggest gap since the show came back. Um, you know, like that in. in in the series that we've talked about, that's the biggest hiatus that they've had. So, um, kind of appropriate that we took, I mean, we literally had to because there were no new episodes. So we kind of had to take a break, but, um, it, it, I think it served us well in terms of the story to go, to go away and come back because it kind of mirrors what was really happening. Right, um, and then and then the diegetic time. So in the husbands of River Song, right. this at the end is where they spend the twenty four years, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yes, yeah. And there's a line which I think has intentional meta textual 
overtones about he's been away for a while, but he's back, you know, like right. that's working on like three different levels or something, you know, like there's many ways in which that's true. Um, so yeah, let me just run through my production really quick. Um, kind of saying that in that hiatus, I mean, this is what happens when Stephen Moffat has to make Sherlock, right? Is Doctor Who takes a break. Um, it's what happened in, so it happened in, you know, season seven or series seven with like the half season and the pauses and everything. Um, and, um, yes, but I didn't feel that because I didn't watch it live. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's different once you're caught up. Um, you have to wait like, you know, the rest of the suckers. Um, and, um, okay. So he, yeah. So he made some Sherlock, um, there was the spin-off class, which aired in the hiatus, which mm. we're not gonna discuss like we haven't discussed the other spin-offs, but um, you know, that is I guess part of the overall, you know, expanded universe of the story. Universe. Um and and Capaldi does make an appearance in it. So there's you know, there's mm. some crossover action happening there. Um and then so Prior to this episode airing in January 2016 was when the announcement was made that um, Moffat would be leaving after series 10. Um, so that's sort of known by this point. Um, and it seems like one of those things where at various points he thought The Husbands of River Song would be his last episode. And then he thought it would be this. And then he thought it would be season 10. And then finally it was the next Christmas special. So it seems like scheduling just sort of kept either he didn't wasn't quite ready to leave or else they kind of pulled him back in because um, Chibnall is sort of still was finishing up Broadchurch at that point. So it might I think it was one of those things where it's like, well, Stephen Moffat, if you don't do C series 10, then Doctor Who won't be on for two years and you can't let that happen. So he sort of mm. extended his run a little further um which is i think kind of interesting like if you think of the husbands of river song as what was supposed to be his last episode coming full circle to the library you know which is sort of the yeah. beginning of his tenure of, of when you know him implanting his ideas as a showrunner um then everything past this is sort of I don't want to say tacked on, but kind of literally was like, it wasn't, you know, uh, it, it was an afterthought in a way. And I think that makes this episode and this season kind of interesting. Um, so yeah. Um, that's it from the production standpoint. Um, where did you want to start with the episode? Sure. Um, so I wanted to note that, like, I don't feel like the plot of this episode is really much to talk about. <laughs> um, That's fair. It's a, uh, it's you know, your sort of standard alien invasion story, mm -hmm. um, couched in uh, sort of superhero genre trappings i guess um mm -hmm. which i like the superhero 
genre as a general sort of thing. I know you're less uh, enamored of it than I am. Um, so I guess I'm kind of curious, even just there, like, like, do you, do you like this episode? Like, is this uh, one that you would say, it, although it starts with like, there's a Christmas like link to it. It's not mm -hmm. a really a Christmas episode in the same mm -hmm. way that yeah. others others are. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. certainly not like the sort of Dickensian episodes that we've gotten, or like, yeah. you know, um, yeah, just right. Like the, no, it's really just that stuff at the beginning, I guess. Yeah, it's just um, kind of like oh, the allusion to him being Santa Claus and like there's a Christmas tree in the apartment and then like the thing up on top of the roof kind of looks like a Christmas tree mm -hmm. and that's kind of it. Yeah. Like the rest of the episode is just kind of like a normal episode, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I right, guess, right. so going back to like, you know, the idea of like, this is, you know, sort of like Dr. Who does superheroes, you know, knowing sort of your, disfavor of like marvel and sort of the superhero genre in general what are you i'm kind of curious just like like broad general impressions we can get into like this was you know some yeah. specifics later but like what what do you think of this episode do you, do you um, like it do you dislike it are you meh i i'm um i think overall this is low on my list of christmas favorites um, I'm not sure that it's just the superhero aspect of it. I don't know that, um, even beyond that, there's a ton that's really that exciting for, for me personally. Like, like it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. But, you know, this is in the kind of, um, the Christmas episode as a as a kind of silly adventure that doesn't ultimately mean much kind of camp, which I think as an, as a thing to broadcast on Christmas Day is probably perfectly fine. I don't know that those make the most interesting discussion points for a podcast. Um, but I mean, so I don't think I, I don't think I dislike it because it has superheroes in it if there's the superhero element, I still am yet to be convinced as to what all is very interesting about them as a genre. Um, like, I think there's, there's a couple funny jokes, you know, that are kind of playfully and affectionately teasing of the genre. I don't, I don't think you could say that this is a, a superly, a, a super like deep critique of, anything really yeah. um it's not, the only, like, it's so, not like a deconstruction or like right a, yeah and not that everything has to be to be interesting but no, um sure but it, and actually the one um one line from a review i remember reading was um phil sandifer's about um on his tardis eruditorium website about um kind of presuming when when the trailer came out and it was like, oh, Doctor Who does superheroes, that this was going to be Moffat's sort of comment on 
the superhero craze right now, right? Like this is this is Doctor Who engaging with Marvel as like the sort of pop culture event that it is at the moment. Mm. And then him being kind of bemused by the fact that that's not really the the type of superhero that it's engaging with here. It's a really very old fashioned kind of DC Superman sort of like it's literally just the Superman Superman setup. Um like Grant's powers are pretty much the same as Superman's and you have the kind of Lois Lane mistaken identity with the glasses on or off kind of hijinks going on. Um, so it doesn't even really specifically engage the Marvel thing um, as its subject. So, um, which is not even my insight. That's how much this isn't my genre. Is like, I, I'm, you know, I'll pick out the good lines from other people's reviews. Um, I mean, I think, and, and there's, there's, there's fun stuff like in that vein with, um, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I think my favorite line is the one where he's about to tell her that it's grand. And he's like, look, some situations are just too stupid to be allowed to continue. Like there's, there's sure. lines like that where it's like kind of, you know, some meta humor about the situation. Um, but I don't know. I think I just ultimately don't, I don't get it. And that's probably, I'll do the C.S. Lewis that that's a, that's a fault of my own rather than <laughs> the millions of people who do get it, you know? Um, so I don't know. You said that you enjoyed this episode. Maybe you didn't say it was like your favorite of all time, but like, yeah, I def think defend it for me a little bit. Like, you know, why should I be interested in superheroes? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know that I can do that because I feel like I would have already done that based on the hundreds of other conversations we've had if I were capable of doing so. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I'm just sort of more amenable to them in general. So that might just be it. I I don't it's it's light fair. So like I I would agree yeah. with your statement of like I actually even like in, like I've already dismissed the plot as like a thing we're not going to talk about cuz like I don't feel like it's worth talking about. It's Yeah. Standard and by, invasion. by plot you mean like the alien invasion of like Yeah, like the, whole, the bad guys. Like I really yeah, yeah. yeah, the sort of like oh we you know, switched out brains and we look like people. So you can't really tell who is who and all of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. We get it. Like, yeah. that's whatever. And I yes, mean, perfectly the, generic doctor who villain. Yeah. yeah. And the rest of it is like, okay. So like, they're going to use their ship as like a bomb to scare everyone and get all of the world leaders into a room and replace all their brains. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Got it. You don't have to think much about that. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I I don't know that I can defend it on, like, intellectual grounds. So, like, it's just, 
I thought it was fine. Like it, it seemed like a fun little episode. I think the 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 interactions between um, Grant and the Doctor are probably the best parts of it. Um, mm-hmm. I am a little. Uh, I mean, there is a part of me that's like why is Grant so interested in this woman who clearly for the last 20 whatever years can't, you know, give him the time of day. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it's yeah. a nice little story of like, she realizes that he's always been there for her and, and comes to appreciate mm-hmm. him and, you know, yeah there's some there's some like uh you know there's a little bit of of you know gender expectation flipping kind of thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know going on with the whole nanny stuff and and whatever um and while it's not certainly not a deconstruction of this superhero genre like we were said before you know the thing of like you know i i I like the line of like oh or or well the the interaction of you know oh you know i'd prefer if you wore your superhero costume and then she puts on his glasses like Mm -hmm. you know this is the real you kind of thing and Mm -hmm. so i mean i think i don't know i i think it's a good feel good episode i don't Mm -hmm. I don't know that like there's a lot to say intellectually about that. Sure. You know, beyond beyond maybe a few like character things. Um mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um I forget specifically what you said that sort of made me think of just the the tone of it of maybe because it's going for a certain kind of like I this is going to come off as like pejorative and I don't mean to dismiss a whole genre but starting Kat, with going to be a snob all right the 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 introduction of it as like through the lens of the comic book thing it, it like even more than a regular kind of standalone episode, there's a kind of cartoonishness to the characters and their interactions. Like, um, like, and, and I, and again, I think that's by intention. I don't think, mm-hmm. excuse me. <clears throat> I think I just swallowed like a piece of dust or something. Um, I don't think there's like, it's not going for, you know, trying to be, the you know deepest psychological exploration of you know the doctor or you know like the characters or anything um right you know and and i think that that's everything from like their motivations and their interactions but like the humor too um like it's a very broad kind of comedy um which I think is enjoyable. Like, and I think, 
I enjoyed it more on rewatch than I did even at the time. Um, just kind of watching purely for like the silly kind of farcical scenes of, you know, when like it's the, the three way split screen and he's in the room and she's on the phone. Like, yeah. like just the pure fun of um, playing around with the kind of the tropes like that. Um, but I mean, yeah, like in terms of the characterizations, like I don't think it's a real, we don't really get to know Grant and Lucy well enough to know like, uh, we don't get to know them well enough to be worried about the fact that he would just sort of be her nanny with no expectations for like their entire lives and have no like, <laughs> like, if you got to know them anymore, you'd probably find this a very troubling relationship, but I don't think it ever really, <laughs> it doesn't like get serious enough to really be concerned with that. Um, yeah. I think it's more like you said about just flipping the, the expectations of, you know, his double life, you know, and what, what is heroic about, this man well that he you know puts child care above everything else like that that's what sort of sure. you know in in well, doctor like, in doctor who moralizing mode that's what makes a superhero is not like the the punching and all and and all that kind of thing it's like the fact that he takes care of the baby yeah so okay maybe we can get into a little bit more specifics of the character. Cause I do feel like we get more than just, they're not completely paper cutter. Is that right way of saying that? They're, they're not like, like we get more than just broad strokes about them. Mm -hmm. But like, like, so, um, I don't know how much we have to talk about, like, young Grant, like, eight-year-old Grant. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, though, if part of the cartoonishness is, and I'm just thinking of this now, so, like, let's test it out and tell me if it doesn't pass the sniff test. But part of it is that he's eight years old, reading comic books, and gets granted his wishes of being mm. a superhero. Right? Right. So, right. There's the like wish fulfillment aspect of it. And 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 the Peter Pan aspect of it. Of he doesn't have to grow up. Mm. Like, cause he's he's maybe stuck a bit in that eight year old, you know, mm -hmm. aspect of you know uh getting getting his desire to be a superhero and using his powers to you know do whatever you know i mean there's also the i mean the the adolescent grant is kind of the funniest one obviously mm -hmm. like he can't look at you know anyone cuz he his x-ray vision is out of control cuz of his adolescent hormones whatever Right. I, I have x-ray eyes. I like everyone. But there's there's also the moment then where later 
he says adolescence was hard and she and uh, where where is it um i don't think i wrote down the actual quote where basically she's like you know she asked him you know how it was growing up with these powers or whatever and he's like well adolescence was hard and she was like you know well what happened and he's like well i'll let you know like what mm -hmm. basically implying that he still hasn't grown out of it mm -hmm. um and and so i wonder if kind of the cookie cutterness mm -hmm. cookie cutter not paper cutter why did i say paper cutter before anyway mixing up like paper thin and cookie yeah cutter or maybe something. that's it um but yeah, the, this idea that like maybe the cookie cutter aspect of it is is that he is sort of maybe mentally stunted. Mm. Um, that he never does grow up kind of beyond. And, and I mean, he apparently grows up enough to like learn how to take care of a baby and seems pretty decent as a nanny. But then also like the doctor sort of calls him out for like, leaving the baby alone while he's mm -hmm. off, you know, rescuing people and stuff. Um, and he sort of like waves it off of like, well, I can fly back here quicker than most people can, you know, sort of walk down the hall to check on their own kids. And I mean, that's true kind of in a way, but still kind of reckless. Like you're still leaving a baby at home while you fly off and mm -hmm. are fighting fires and, you know, blowing right. up windows and that kind of thing. Right. Well, it presumes that you'll be able to fly back anytime you want. You know, like it, it doesn't yeah. really leave a lot of room for things that might prevent you from coming back. Um, so, so yeah, there's a kind of sense of his own invincibility, which, yeah, which is might be literally true in the superhero sense, but isn't true ultimately because nobody is invincible and, and but that's a very adolescent attitude right 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 and so um yeah i mean like you said like i think a lot of that's by design and so i don't you know does that mean that it's a good story because we can sort of identify that and and pick that out well you know i mean again i sort of liked it but i don't but it doesn't have like the deepest plot in the world or anything so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, I, you know, calling her Mrs. Lombard mm. and like, I get that, like he's had a crush on her since middle school or whatever. Yeah. But like she not only, I mean, she said hi to him in the hall, but okay. Like that's whatever. But. Yeah, you know, she ignores him for his best friend, marries his best friend. And then when, like, his best friend leaves, like, hires him as, like, the live-in nanny. Like, like, none of this suggests that, like, she sees him as an actual real person. Right? Human being. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and that's kind of, I think, again, a pointer to the... the at least on her part, maybe Grant is a little bit more nuanced, but um, her being more of that sort of cardboard character because 
she, I don't think that, I don't, by intention, by like authorial intent, I don't think the point is supposed to be that she's a callous, cold person. And yet, when you kind of think about it, it's like, well, yeah, like, how can she possibly see him as a human being, let alone a friend, you know, or somebody that she cares about? But but that's that's not I don't think we're supposed to necessarily judge her for that. I think we're supposed to see that as like the trope of this is how this story goes. And we're familiar with like the way that the sort of split you know, dual personality thing works. The the name thing bothers me the most. Sure. If he's known her since she was in middle school or what, you know, they were in middle yeah. school together. Yeah. Like, right. Even if, even if you like, I work for people, I don't call my boss, you know, Mr. Whatever. Right. No, that's pushing it like, too far. Yeah. Like that just seems to me very. Well, high. and, and it, it, it feels to me like it's there for the first reveal of, oh, she's Mrs. Lombard. But then when you think about it, it's like, yeah, but why would he call her that? And they could like, have gotten away with it. For, yeah. They could have gotten away with it just by using, like, a first name. Because the only other time she's referred to is as Miss Fletcher. Right. In the press conference. So it's like... Right. She can still be Miss Flesher, and then he can still call her Lucy, and mm-hmm. you're still not necessarily putting two and two together, like, right. Right. until you see yeah. them in the same place or whatever. So, yeah, I, yeah. you know, whatever. That's fine. Like, it's not a, it's not a huge deal from a story perspective, but it just seems weird that if he had known mm-hmm. her for that long, and they were like, and she married his best friend. Yes. Like, yeah, like they know each other. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway. So, I don't know. The more I think about it, maybe it's not that great of an episode. Maybe I... Maybe maybe thinking about it makes me dislike it more. <laughs> um, That's funny. In some ways. Um, I mean... I think... I think we're kind of going in opposite directions. I think it sounds like you liked it on your initial impression. And then when you think about it, you realize like, oh, well, this this kind of doesn't make sense. Whereas I think the first time I was more distracted by the things that didn't sort of really work or add up. And then when I watched it again, just for the pure, okay, this is a fun episode and I'm going to enjoy it. I liked it a little bit better. So, yeah. I think that's kind of ultimately the same position, just on opposite ends. Um. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, it, do you have anything else to say about sort of Grant and Mrs. Lombard? Um, Mrs. Lombard. Like, um, I don't, I don't know, like, like I do still I like I like the fact that it is sort of a happy ending and like mm-hmm. they are together and she kind of realizes like oh there's this guy who's been in my life and he's you know been good to me and my child and you know yeah like the way that she sort of defends him without like even even really needing to or even like expecting to um mm-hmm. 
is you know to to the ghost which of course is him mm -hmm. um you know is is good but i don't i don't yeah. know how like deep into that we need to get sure yeah and i mean we kind of mentioned it already but i do like the the flip of because it's very Doctor who eats me of, like, what constitutes heroism. So, like, even though I, I wish they'd gone further and, and maybe interrogated it a bit more, um, I do like the sentiment of, like, ultimately the his superhero nature is the nanny side, you know, of, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the guy who protects children, you know, and... and values the the family over the kind of you know crazy showy heroics and everything um yeah and not that that other stuff isn't fun too but like that just seems like a, a way in which doctor who and the genre kind of meet and there's like a a, a meeting and an agreement there sure. of like what's and, which is like when you I don't know as I say it it sounds kind of sentimental like oh the the true superhero is well it's within all of us but like it's kind of true and and I think that's the right message to send on a Christmas day you know like it's a positive sort of statement and, and I think it goes back to I mean the first season of the re of the not reboot but what do you call it. Yeah, of the, of, of yeah. the regenerated of the, the series, series, yeah, um, of 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 Father's Day, you know, uh, an ordinary sure. an ordinary man is the most important thing in creation, right? Like, mm -hmm. like that idea of it's, you know, it is the sort of everyday mundane, mundane, not in a bad way, but like, yeah, in the non supernatural superhero way, right, right, um. You know those people who are the sort of true heroes. Um, yeah, yeah. And that it's not that it's more heroic, but that it's like even sometimes in the face of sort of like ignorance and and judgment about like, oh, that's not a man's job, or that's not you know right. what a man does, or whatever. Um, right, right. And there's the gendered aspect to it of not just what's heroic, but what's heroic in a masculine way like sure what what is a good you know like the good man in this situation is the one that you know values his loved ones over just looking to be the guy who like saves the day mm -hmm. um so yeah uh So the Doctor and Nardal, mm -hmm. we get a little bit about that. So, which is interesting. So Nardal is introduced in the previous Christmas one, right? In the mm -hmm. Husbands of River Song. Yep. So we don't really know him that well at this point. I mean, right? we do because like, we've seen the season that comes after this. <laughs> when you first watch this episode, when you, watch you don't this, know him that well. But yeah. what's... I struggled because, like, by the time this episode came, I couldn't remember. And so, like, you see this episode and then it's like another year, right? Or whatever before we get, like, 
or maybe not a full year, but like when, um, when is the like? I think season? it started in the spring, like April or something. Okay, so, so like it's like several like, months. Yeah, like so, four or five, six months. Because like, like when we see Nardal in season ten, which we'll mm-hmm. get to next week, like mm-hmm. it's like I know I've seen him before, but it was a while ago. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't remember much about him. So, like, it's just kind of funny going back and saying, like, this is really only yeah. the second episode with him in it. It's just, yeah. it's been a year. So it right. feels like you should know him better and know more about him. Well, and they're playing it kind of intentionally mysterious, I think, because he had, he kind of acts like he's the companion. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm the guy who hangs out with it. You don't know that? Like... Like, you, the audience, don't know that. Whereas, like, if you're in the audience, unless you're reading interviews and know that the actor's going to be in the season, I think you totally are watching this episode going, why the heck is he there? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, you don't watch the Husbands of River song and say, well, clearly that's the next companion. Like, he's, right. like, a one-off comedy, like, robot character. Yeah. Um, you know, who kind of comes back and is still sort of the one-off comedy character, except he's acting like he's the companion. Well, and Um, he's, like, flying the TARDIS and stuff. Right, right, right. So I think that's kind of... I think it's intention... Or maybe it's not intentionally, but I think it, it, it definitely is confusing the first time you watch it. Um, And I think by this point... He had been announced as coming back as a regular for series 10, but there were no details as to like why that would be or what his role would be. Mm-hmm. So it's leaving it pretty vague for the audience at this point. Right. Um. And like, yeah, like it's weird allusions to the fact that he's like, you know, the doctor's sort of minder and everything like, you know, He'll be all right. I'll make sure of it. Like, what? Like, what What authority do you have to make sure that the doctor's all right? It's kind of an intriguing little setup. Sure. Yeah. And, and also, like, I mean, he does sort of act as that reminder of, like, to the audience, but then, like, you know, in telling um, Grant and Lucy at the end there, like, Oh, you know, her name was River Song, and they there was like they were there for like twenty four years, and you know, on this planet for one night, and um, she died like in a library later, blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. like like kind of giving like the recap of like, okay, so like it's been a while, it's yeah. been a while, <laughs> and like this is where this is kind of the doctor's state of mind at right. this point, right. Yeah. Yes, so providing some exposition of, okay, here's just a little refresher of where we sort of, yeah, it's an interesting mix of a refresher between where we left off and also setting up a a character interaction that has yet to really be explained. Yeah. Um, Um. And and the comment about, you know, uh, you cut me out of Hydroflax because you were worried you'd be lonely. 
I don't really know what the first half of that sentence means. You cut me out of Hydra. Like, I, I'm assuming that means Hydroflax is like a material from which Nardal is made, and the doctor like cut him out well, like like a pattern. Well, it's like a it's a reference to the husbands of River Song. Okay. Um, and and it might just be a thing of, you know, next time you do a rewatch, um, you know, just to like you know kind of refresh everybody's memory. There's um. You know the the big cyborg, which is going around swapping heads with people, and he takes yep. Nardole's head and sort of sticks it um, onto his sort of robot body. So I guess oh, the implication Hydroflex is the the robot. Yes. Ah. So I think yeah, the implication being that he was sort of decapitated, and the doctor sort of recovered his head and kind of gave him, you know. I don't know if it's his old body or gave him a new body, but kind of put him back together. I did um, not remember that that was the name of the... I, I was thinking it was like some kind of material, like flax, right? But it's right, Hydroflax. Right. Yeah. Um, right. No, right. No, Hydroflax is the character. Yeah. Right. Okay. Which I don't... I barely remember that, and I don't think it's... I, the situation of the Husbands of River Song, I don't think is hugely sort of important right. um I, I was just because i was thinking like like flax is used in like textiles and so like cut me out of hydroflax like has a sound of like right like he cut made me him. from a pattern like you right. know and sewed me together right kind of thing. right right i that makes a lot more sense to me now that you've given me the recap there um but anyway i mean the, so i was going to sort of throw that off and just say I didn't understand that first half, but like that it wasn't that important to me because it's more the second part, right? It's because mm -hmm. you were worried you'd be lonely. Like that's mm -hmm. that's the part that like that and which not the first time the doctor's taken on a companion because he was lonely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. that seems to be a running theme. In fact, um, <laughs> are there any companions that he gets? That don't for any sort of other like reason solve to some degree right. his loneliness, right? Um, or at least you know, maybe it can't be his his loneliness can never be cured, but it can be you know treated for a while, um, right? Right. So right. Well, and uh, I don't remember if this is Phil Sandifer again or some other reviewer that I read, but um, or maybe I don't know, maybe Moffat said this, but the idea that. Like all those companions that he finds out of loneliness are people that he meets and invites or recruits or who end up traveling with him. Whereas like, you know, Nardole is more specifically sort of made, um, like put together for this purpose. And in that way, um, if, if, if anything, um, somebody kind of made the connection that the closest thing in the classic series is to K9. Like having this little robot companion who is with you and sort of can feed you exposition and like is sort of there, but like isn't, is he really fully, you know, treated as a, a human companion character? Um, so it's almost like a, 
a way of fleshing out the canine character into like a, you know, a full character um, who has more personality and more kind of ability to do things than the little like robot dog that just kind of would follow you around. Um, So, I mean, that could have been kind of potentially one of the ideas behind the character is like, you know, we haven't had a non-human full-time companion before. So how can we kind of take that idea and expand it? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much else here. Um, any other sort of final thoughts? I mean, we don't, this is a sort of one-off and mm-hmm. other than just sort of like filling in a bit of a gap between the last Christmas episode and like the upcoming season 10. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like it's just one we can just sort of like brush our hands off and, and move forward. Yeah. I think it's, you know, a fun way back into the series, both, for the show and for the podcast here, but um, but I don't think that I have many more insights to really dig into. So, well, I'm sure that won't be the case for the uh, upcoming season of. That Hopefully episode. not. Um, and 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 for the next episode of Buffy, which we'll talk about next week, uh, and. Uh, the pilot episode of Doctor Who, as in the yes. episode titled "The Pilot," not yeah. uh, the pilot yeah. episode, because we're well beyond that. Yeah, um, yeah, a, a very intriguing title. So, sure, look forward to diving into that. So good. See you then. <laughs> I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review.